Welcome to Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders by Bright Mind Consulting Group. We give you the necessary tools to help you become the architect of not just your business, but your life too. I'm your host, Javon Wooden. Hey, what's going on, Amy? How are you? I'm doing well, Javon. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad we got to finally connect. It's been a while since the Invest Fest, and we're here today. And I know you've been traveling a lot. Hopefully, those travels have been going well. Thank you for asking. They have been. That's a part of, you know, even how we met at Invest Fest. So, as I mentioned, I represent clients in the United States and Nigeria. So, I live between two of the countries. So, that could be a task in and of itself, but a blessing. So, I'm grateful. (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. We're going to talk about that in this convo because that's dope. I haven't come across so many people who do that and live between two countries. I've seen cities, yeah. but countries. That's <laughs> level. So let's talk about that. So first question that I ask every guest is, who are you? Who is Amy Orofo? Yes. So you all, I'm Amy Orofo. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina originally. I am Nigerian-American. So to answer some of the question, Javon, why I'm going back and forth, but I know we'll get into that a little deeper. I am, who am I? I'm a lot of things that I'm proud of. I am a daughter. I am a sister, an auntie, a creative. I'm a lawyer. Like we all have a lot of these titles, but I am just grateful. I'm an entertainment attorney. That's what I do as a trade. I get to work with innovators, musicians, podcasters to help them protect and grow their brands, negotiate their deals with these brands, with other individuals, with companies. You know, there's one of the team members to help them grow. You know, I've been blessed to be able to grow with a lot of brands, to see them, as I like to always say, they were dope and they were amazing, but people weren't paying as much attention. So I like to say God gave me a gift to be able to like see people, to bet on people and to go on the journey with them. So I've been really blessed that it's literally taken me all over the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. As we mentioned earlier, we met at Invest Fest with one of your clients throwing on Earn Your Leisure, one of the biggest podcasts in the game. So that's awesome. So let's go back to the start. When you decided to go to law, whenever that was, from that point on, did you always have a strong idea of what area you'd be specializing in? That's a great question, Javon. So when you go to law school, it's very general. Law school in the United States is three years. In case anybody else is listening to this outside of the United States, everybody in every country has their different roles, but we'll speak to the ones in the United States. It's three years, right? If you decide that you want to go on that journey. So you go to four years of undergrad and three years. So I will go back to Javon. Like I went straight from undergrad to law school Mm. and knowing then what I know now, it might be a bit controversial to say this, but I would encourage people to actually go work in between time. I'm glad I did what I did because I don't have any lawyers in my family. I, I wanted to, what brought me to, I have this conversation more often in my life these days because it's about impact to me. And I became a lawyer because I want to be an advocate and not in the sort of like, oh, that's a noble thing to say. And truly, like, I'm the youngest of five kids. It's just been in my DNA. As the youngest, I'm very close knit family with my siblings, my parents, but I'm the youngest. So I had to assert myself, right? Like, (laughs) so I had this much, like, just naturally had to assert myself if I wanted things. So if we're (laughs) talking bare bones, it's not even being deep. It's like when I was the youngest, you want things, you have to pipe up, right? You know, so absolutely because you you will mess around and not have nothing left. <laughs> oh, period. Everybody else gets something and you get into everything, right? So I just a tongue in cheek with my family. They know how to make me feel loved. I'm still affectionately their baby girl, but like I was deemed a bit bossy when I was younger <laughs> because I was never afraid of vocalizing like respectfully. Obviously I'm from a Nigerian household. Respect is paramount. But I would assert myself 
or if something was on my mind or I was curious. And Javon, you may be like, what does this have to do with the attorney thing? A lot because seeds are sown into us at a young age. My parents mm-hmm. gave us, my siblings and I, a lot of, you know, there was respect there. We had rules for my household of faith. So you put God first and you go to school, right? <laughs> like, like those are the rules. It's hard, like going to college. I don't know what anybody else thinking. Like that's happened. So I'm saying education was very important. So that was something in my DNA about like, okay, I don't have any lawyers, like I said, in my family, but the advocacy part is something I couldn't shape. Even when I don't mean to, Javon, I'm advocating for people. <laughs> like, you know, no, so that's, I just- took, dope though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I just took that and I was like, oh, this law thing, again, not having a reference point with any family members, this sounds cool. Entertainment came because I was a trained dancer. I danced for 16 years. Uh-oh. So I danced my life. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. We have a lot of arts programs. So I thought I was going to pursue that professionally. I literally- from high school to college, tried out for a couple of dance programs, did not get into it. I like to tell the story now. I used to not like to tell it, but there is beauty and failure because it leads us to where we are. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be a professional dancer. I need to be in the ecosystem of creativity. It wasn't a, oh, I want to know. Like I need to in order to feel like I'm alive and to leave the impact. So that's how I got into entertainment law. And law school is general. So imagine, like then my law school, I'm sitting in there like, I know what I want to do, but they don't teach you. They don't teach you that. So I'm in there. You have to go through the steps, pay your dues. It's a means to an end. So you aren't taught or there's no silo or no reading ground for if somebody wants to be a corporate lawyer or somebody wants to be an entertainment lawyer or somebody wants to be an environmental lawyer. You just go and learn the general aspects of law and what law school teaches you. I want to dispel any myth is critical thinking skills and how to issue spot and problem solve. Law school does not teach you to be a lawyer. And I think that's important to say if anybody wants to go to law school, because it teaches you, we think as lawyers in a way that a lot of people don't think. It's not better or worse. It's just different. We attack issues. We are problem solvers. We are advocates. At any field of law, you deal with any attorney who is effective. They are listening to you. Javon, you could talk to me and say something for 20 minutes straight. And I can let you dump and say whatever you need to say. And in two minutes, I can give you a summary. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. It's a very powerful skill because we're listening to spot issues and to solve them. It's literally a one-two punch. It's nothing deeper than that. So that's what I do in my day to day as far as, hey, I'm listening to the client's pain points or we're getting in front of things. Not even that it's a pain point to be proactive, to help them negotiate these agreements, these amazing deals and opportunities are coming to him. But that didn't happen in law school. Law school taught me how to have those skill sets. And then you come out and that's why they call it the practice of law. You literally are coming out and you're like figuring out as you go, right? Like you're figuring out and you're learning, but you have to learn at a thousand miles an hour. So you learn quickly. I love that you were vulnerable enough to share that you wanted to be a dancer originally, but it didn't work out for you. So how long did it take you to say, okay, I'm just going to let this dream go and focus full force Mm -hmm. on law? If we're being very transparent, I was in college. I still dance just casually, like in different programs, but I would watch my friends literally travel the world. So if we're being honest, probably up until my junior year of college, where okay. I was like, oh, this is real. This isn't happening. Like, because I was still doing it, but it's like, I'm not pursuing this professionally because generally speaking, not that people can't do it. There's some outliers, but you're usually going to go through a college dance program because I wanted to dance at Alvin Ailey or somewhere professionally. They'll take me across the world because I literally had friends that danced professionally and literally traveled all over the world for, you know, however many years your body will give 
you because it's very physical. That was my passion. So I was very happy for the people, but I was like, dang, I thought that was going to be part of my dream. But I had to regroup by junior year. And I knew the law thing. I was like, okay, it looks like we're doing this, right? Like, but <laughs> it wasn't me settling. It was me trying to figure out what I want to make of this life, right? Because that was something I thought if I was able to be a dancer, I'll be a lawyer. You know, Literally, I was in law school with people. That was a second career. So you could do that whenever you decided to go to law school. Mm-hmm. But I had to shift gears. The great question that you answer, I had to really like, you know, junior year, I was like, oh, because, you know, that's the time they tell you like, okay, for real, you got to start thinking about it. <laughs> like, what's next? And I was a communication studies and um, cultural studies double major. So I've always been creative in my approach with things. And I traveled abroad one summer to Ghana and Nigeria. So you all, me being a creative is not something I stumbled into. I'm a creative who happens to be a lawyer. So that's okay. why I feel like I get along with my clients because I'm able to tap into that side. The only difference, Javon, is I'm always encouraging them to protect and monetize the gifts that God gave them. So that's where all this stuff started. So junior year, I was like, okay, this is for real. They usually tell you you need to be on a law school path. You all don't believe that. I was a liberal arts major. I was not a political science major. I went to law school. <laughs> like So do things your way, right? Follow the criteria of your school. But my school, I went to UNC Chapel Hill undergrad and then North Carolina Central for Law School. UNC Chapel Hill, I would do it over again. The best university in my opinion. And nice. I, it just gave you room to breathe and to meet students and to live and to be a citizen of the world because that's what you need to show up in the world to eventually become who you're going to be. And I took advantage of that, Javon, in four years. And I tried out studied abroad. I would do the leisure dance program. I would put my head in the books and that made me a better student to show up because it prepared me for law school. Absolutely. And you still ended up traveling in a different way, right? So you're taking <laughs> what you've learned in law school and applying yeah. that creative aspect and kind of at the intersection of technology, business and creative industries. And those industries have generated a huge amount of growth. Do you feel as though like the goalposts have moved for artists in terms of content protection? That's an excellent question, Javon. Yes <laughs> and no. So I'm going to give you one of those legal, those lawyer, it depends. It depends. Yes, (laughs) it depends, right? You're laughing because you dealt with a lot of lawyers because we're like, I'll give you both sides because we always have to be objective, right? So I would say, let me start with no in the sense of in certain industries, like where I cut my teeth as I say, I came in as a music lawyer. So, and then I got into, which I know we'll get into my podcasters, you know, I represent Earn Your Leisure and 85 South. So like we had to grow together when we started. So it will get these opportunities and learn these deals at a high level at the same time, but you have to be quick and, and to learn. So the goalpost has not moved in some capacity. Let's start with music. People think about entertainment and that's one of the first things they think about in America, the music industry. Certain things have not changed, Devon, right? There's certain things just if you're dealing with major labels that they sort of have their standards about if you want to sign with them and get an advance, for example, and you all in advance, if money is given up front from a record label, 100000 200000 million dollars, whatever the number is, then the trade-off is you are giving them the rights to your song, the sound recording, also referred to as the masters. They own it. So that we've known for how long, right? So nobody can claim ignorance. That's usually the trade-off there. But the goalpost has moved in some capacities because things have changed, such as streaming, and downloads and how people get paid for different things. You know, when NFTs were coming in this season, I know sort of bubbled down a little bit, but labels and people were figuring out, do we like participate in that revenue share? So yes and no. You see why my it depends answer Absolutely. applies. And then in technology, let alone 
if we're talking podcast deals, that is ad revenue sales is what drives a lot of podcasting, right? So it really depends on the industry, but it's always important for talent and for the artist to keep their pulse on these changes and their team to keep like a pulse on it. And your team's going to know, but you all as creatives, it is your responsibility. This is your vision to know what's going on in your industry. Absolutely. Yeah. We just seen the actors, they were just on strike for yeah. a while to fight for that. Speaking of streaming, many actors weren't even making like 20K a year. So I'm isn't like, it crazy? it's amazing about- what was exposed, Javon, right? Like, yes. isn't that crazy? Like what came out sadly, but, but it's the fact that they weren't the ones to like, you were thinking they're getting all these checks and this money and it's a bit of a facade at times. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, speaking of, we just said one of the injustices, it sounds like, but was there any particular like event or injustice that took place to light your fire within the music and entertainment industries? Oh, wow. I'm artist centric, as you already know, which means I'm focused on the artist. Just in general, just I don't like seeing people taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Just that's where it came from. I just don't. So in music, because that's my first love. My love of music made me become a dancer because I wasn't given the gift of being able that to makes sing. Sense. <laughs> so I just love that. But I just always remember hearing about these people who didn't sign these good deals or just specifically for us as African-Americans and creating the content, but not always being owners of it. Like that's something that I'm, I'm ownership for whatever, like it's been very important to me. My parents were entrepreneurs. They used to own like an African food shop as immigrants. And I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina. They came to North Carolina and the premise behind that is they moved and they weren't able to find the kind of foods that they grew up with in Nigeria. So they started the entrepreneurship, like I said, is finding need and meeting it. So they did that. So I would watch them do that. And like you become what you see a lot of times. So I'm like, oh, they can do it. Then I can do it. And so that's what came of it. I was just like, okay, like we as black people specifically, like we create a lot, but do we own it? Absolutely. And we see that time and time again with when someone passes and their estate is in flux and all that other stuff. And they're like, who owns this? Right. So you really have to establish that, whether it's being taken by the music and the execs or their family members. So we definitely have to really focus in on that ownership and making sure that there is no ambiguity there. Like everyone knows like this is my stuff. Right. I own this. I'm just going to go to this person when I do pass it, you know, whatever the case. may be. So for sure, I love that. So. I got a question. We're talking uh, about injustices here, right? And I know you got the answer. But uh, <laughs> thank you for your confidence in me. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So what's the bigger problem? Is it flimsy regulations or a lack of understanding underground rights issues and how artists can protect themselves? I would say first putting accountability on the artist, understanding, because if it's not there, ask the question. Artists need to be able to ask the questions and challenge some of these regulations that may not be clear. And then again, in true to form, in my legal answer, I would say some of these are regulations, but people often have to be poked and prodded and pushed to change things, right? That's how change Mm -hmm. occurs. But I would put the onus on the creatives. And that may sound like a different answer than some other people may be. I'm saying it because I work so intimately with creatives and I know the visionaries and innovators and passionate people that they are, but you gotta be like, you have to be bold enough to push the envelope and ask those questions that people aren't willing to ask because that's what changes regulations and laws and policies. Mm-hmm. Now being quiet doesn't do anything, right? The great way is what changes things. Like my man, John Lewis said, good trouble, right? You want to make sure you be loud. Good and trouble. For sure. Absolutely. So you, yeah, you mentioned some creators, right? And we're seeing, 
a lot of people become content creators and they're doing a lot of things on social platforms. It's really made the landscape more accessible, right? And some artists get big because they blow up on YouTube or whatever the case may be. But Mm -hmm. has that rapid extension and competition really caused an issue among popular artists, popular platforms, or do you see it as more of a boon to the industries? I think there's a saying that, and I may be misquoting it, but all publicity is good publicity. So I'll Mm -hmm. use that in this instance. It's like, whether there is an agreement or disagreement, there's tension, it's still out there, right? So I think I'll use that analogy in the sense that like, it creates dialogue, Javon. I think it does what it needs to do. Because I think at the highest form, that's what art does. Any good art will make people scratch your head or creates dialogue, it creates questions, it creates curiosity. So I think that's what it does. So like, as long as things are not hurting anybody, specifically in the United States, with that's with the First Amendment right. That's why it's the actual First Amendment right. It's important for the freedom of speech and expression. That's one thing America got right. And I know sometimes some people take it to the extreme, but that's the premise behind it. Because if you start to mute people's voices and their expression, like, what do we have? Mm-hmm. That's why our creative industry is so strong in this country, because people feel like they have a platform to create at any time. Somebody can get on. That's why we have so many people that are, whether you want to call them influencers or brand ambassadors, or they get on YouTube or they get on TikTok, and you may not known about them six months ago, but they have X amount of followers and have monetized it. Where else can that happen? But for, right. you know, it happens other places. But in America, that's the breeding ground for this kind of stuff. That Absolutely. And so- with that, everyone's just blowing up. They don't know about safeguarding themselves. Yeah. So how do they protect their intellectual property and their brand, so to speak, on these platforms? So again, I want to give the disclaimer, depending on what jurisdiction or country people are listening in to, like, please check your respective country. But as far as the United States, we have the U.S. Library of Congress, which is you'll go to copyright.gov, www.copyright.gov to file a federal copyright. You all, if you don't know any other website, please remember that one. That's why I said it specifically, because you want to know how to file your own copyrights. Yes, you have an attorney such as myself can help you. That can help you, but I'm speaking to you as an entrepreneur and as a self-starter. If you learn skill sets like that for yourself, you can save yourself money and bring in the lawyers for the times you need to bring the lawyers in, right? Like to, to negotiate, Maybe even you can bring them in for next tier's trademark, right? If, so you would copyright, for example, Javon, if you and I created a song together, we would copyright the lyrics of the song, the melody of the song. That's called the musical composition, the underlying composition of the song. Then we would copyright the second part, which is why I mentioned before the sound recording, which is referred to as the masters, that the record label, if you're in a major record label deal, would say, hey, okay, for this money, thank you, we'll take this. So there are two parts of a song that need to be copyrighted and it's not written it's copyrighted i know it sounds funny but that's the past tense of how you would say copyright so if you will copyright it and then the next one it would be trademark it's a source identifier so i have had clients trademark their names like their stage names their actual names if they use that as their stage name then the name of their brand or their source identifier or name of the brand that they use to sell their products you know or their goods or services that's a trademark Then you have something called a patent. So the invention of how somebody created a new type of refrigeration system, there's a patent behind that invention to create those refrigerators. So you see how tech, that's very technical. And then you have something called trade secrets. There's not a place for you to protect that. But let me go back. Trademarks and patents in the United States are protected with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And you go to www.uspto.gov. But trade 
secrets are the last ones. You cannot go to any formal website to protect that. Trade secrets are, Javon, if you and I create a special ingredient to fry our chicken better than anybody fries their chicken, or to make drinks better than anybody makes them, right? Exactly. (laughs) Or to make that peach cobbler. I'm from the South. So like, you know, to create something, something like just the way you could, that is a trade secret. And it stays within the company and that's usually protected in paperwork, such as non-disclosure agreements, employment agreements, things like that. It's in the face of the document. So it's important to break down those four types of intellectual property because a person needs to see where they fall. They may fall into needing a copyright and a trademark. They may need a copyright, trademark, patent and trade secrets. But that's why it's important to talk to intellectual property attorney who can advise on how and when you need to protect for your brand. Thank you for that information and throwing out those jewels with the websites. Make sure y'all go to those. Protect your IP, protect your intellectual property for sure. So speaking of protection, say someone breaches it. Like, what do you do in that sense? Do you just send them a cease and desist or do you just need to get a lawyer right away? That's a great question. First, you would, yes. I always encourage individuals, if you can handle it amicably as a content creator or an artist or creative, reach out to that person, put them on notice. You want to put them on notice? Like, because sometimes it could be what's called willful infringement. They don't care. They saw it. They try to steal it. Or it could be, it's not malicious. So it's unintentional infringement. Mm-hmm. Somebody had a great idea. They got excited about it. They put it out. It causes you know a likelihood of confusion if it's a trademark or it infringes on your expression of idea if it's a copyright. You put them on notice and say, give them a time frame so it's clear. Hey, you know, this is our trademark or this is our copyright. There's an infringement on this. Mm-hmm. You have until Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to take it down or move forward with legal action. Something like that. Just letting them know. Or you could start even more casually because people get triggered when you hear about legal. Right, right. Legal, oh, you want to sue me? Oh, you want to. <laughs> exactly. You just put them on notice and make a request like it's here. We've let you know we've done that. Could you take it down? I always say it's clear. It's important to be clear because. Somebody would be like, you didn't tell me when to take it down. So be clear and be clear about time zones because this is the big wide world and people are yes. in different places. So that's why I said be a succinct, like I live in Atlanta, so use Eastern Standard Time Zone. So people will know according to where you live, like you want it down at a time. Let's say you don't hear back from the person or they choose to ignore you. Then you can be a little more assertive or aggressive. And you could say, previously sent a notice on that prior date. If this is not taken down by whatever date you give them, close the business the next day, five days, 10 days, whatever you're comfortable doing, then we'll proceed for legal action. So that's their cease and desist because you're telling them to cease and desist from using it. And then God forbid they don't listen, you file a lawsuit. I get it. <laughs> At that point, oh. you know, <laughs> get it done. Uh, but yeah, I want to give a disclaimer, Javon, that can be timely and costly. So infringement is not fun. So to tell you how it really works in real life, people choose their battles. Mm-hmm. If we're being very frank, they choose their battles about who they can enforce this on because you'll be chasing a lot of people sometimes. So it's guacamole almost. It's like who, that's why some people buy like, with well, this brand went after this person, but not this person. Or you have some brands that are very aggressive and go after everybody. So it just depends on how people choose to enforce and attack their trademark and copyright and intellectual property. Protection. Absolutely. Yeah. That reminds me of 50 Cent was talking about it a while back when people use LineWire and all that stuff. He said he actually appreciated people bootlegging the stuff because it got his reach out further. And then people will okay. want to buy like the real thing. So like you said, you got to pick your battles. Maybe you could see an opportunity yeah. there. So yeah, that's yes. a good point for sure. So we're talking about all these things, lawyering up and all that stuff. So is there a point in time for like an artist or a creative to really say, hey, I got to that point in popularity or I'm big enough 
Or is it just, hey, from the jump, you should start and lawyer up or seek legal advice? Oh, that's a great question. I often tell people, like, it's always good. You can never know too many people. That's the model I live by. But go ahead and start building relationships with entertainment attorneys, managers, people in the industry. So you may not have a deal proposal or proposition because to answer your question, usually you bring a lawyer in when there's something, as we will call it, on the legal side, it's papered. There's their deal points. There's a proposition in front of you. There's a proposal. There is a deal that some company or third parties reach out to you about that they need reviewed, negotiated. They want to enter into a business venture or transaction with you. That's when an entertainment attorney comes in to negotiate, to review on your behalf, advise you, negotiate. As the creative, it is your decision. It is our opinion and our guidance as lawyers. But prior to that happening, you want to build relationships so you won't scramble when that big opportunity comes and you're like, oh, I don't know any entertainment lawyers. Like, what am I supposed to do? Because you're under pressure of the deal. You need to keep your mind clear enough to figure out this is a good opportunity for you. Does it align with your vision? Like, you have a lot of decisions and things to make. Like, scrambling to look for an entertainment attorney should not be that at that time. It should have been, maybe you were talking to a two or three people and you always just casually kept in touch with them and you knew what skill set they had to offer. Y'all had been building casually and now it's time to strike. So now instead of going and, you know, pointing proverbial to the sky or reaching out to find, generally speaking, it's relationship based. Not that you can't find the entertainment attorney online, but most of the time, like I'm blessed that my clients refer clients to me or I'm referred by colleagues to different people. Like, it's a very interpersonal field specifically in entertainment law. So you're generally going to find it through your network, like your entertainment attorney or somebody who can refer you to one. So I would tell people if they're already having those conversations months or even years in advance prior to opportunities happening, that's when they could strike most effectively with having that person or just a couple of options of people that they can sort of interview at that time to move forward to help them negotiate that deal. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great advice. You know, you don't want to wait because when you scramble, you end up with somebody who knows you're scrambling, they might raise exactly. the price or do anything. You know, you, you never know. You know it. You don't want to be in a desperate state, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's just like a bank loan, right? You, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to get it when you don't really need it, right? So, okay, yeah, that's great advice, Amy. Thank you. So most of our listeners are high achievers in business, technology, consulting, even podcasting. So what are some of the key intellectual property measures or principles that you will brief them on? Were they to embark on creation or a concept? I would definitely say adhering to those four types of intellectual property that I mentioned, copyright, trademark, patent, trade secrets, having an audit, whether you have an attorney who's an intellectual property attorney that deals in one of those, like the patent attorneys, some patent attorneys literally only do patents, right? So deal with the person that's respective silo. You know, a trademark attorney may handle trademarks and copyrights, or they may be, in my case, like, I handle trademarks and copyrights, but I also serve as what's called as general counsel for my clients in entertainment. So because of the trust that they have with me, which I'm very humbled by, I handle my piece of the pie and I negotiate their deals. I make sure their overall brand protection is in place, Mm -hmm. but I may have to bring in another trademark attorney or a copyright attorney. Why you may say? Because a bandwidth, or we may have a lot of other things to do, right? And it's about not slowing down the process. And I may think in that instance, although I have the skill set, let me bring this person in so that I can be in front of this big brand to negotiate this deal in front of them and to keep the momentum going with the other opportunities. So a lot of it is strategy. As a lawyer to say, hey, clients need help this way. They need to always make sure they're protected and just always sort of having an audit, whether it's a few times a year to say, What's going on? Because I have to check in with clients sometimes. They're creatives. They create. 
And then sometimes it charges not their heart. They may not say anything about what they created. And I'm like, whoa, is this protected? And generally speaking, they're pretty good at that. Like making sure it's protected. If not, we get in front of it. No, that's good. Yeah, because when you create, you just like, oh, let me put it out there. You don't even exactly. That That brings Mm -hmm. up a good point. So if I do put something out there before I get it protected and someone else decides they like it and they want to use it, what happens then? That's a great question. So what happens is there's something called a common law, like copyright or trademark. So technically, the minute somebody, you know, writes that, we wrote that song together that I mentioned earlier, and then you would write that song, we technically own it as the copyright owners. But you want to get that added layer of protection by going to copyright.gov to file it. You see the difference? So yeah, because yeah. it's basically that she said, it's word of mouth. It's like, but I wrote it first, but I wrote it first. Then you're doing all this back and forth. And it's like strongest. And you get the most protection when you take that extra layer and file it at the federal level. So I would encourage everybody to do that. They would say, oh, well, I wrote it. I own it. So technically own it. So let's say a photographer, for example, you take a picture of somebody on your phone. You, Javon, as the person who took the picture, you're the copyright owner. But a lot of people think, oh, the person being photographed is a copyright owner. No, the person taking the picture is a copyright owner. And then if the person who's being photographed then wants to own it, there's a release that needs to be signed. For example, to say, hey, by giving you X amount of money to take these photographs, I now own these images of myself. But knowing those nuances like that would be very helpful for content creators and creatives as as they're coming up. Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring that up because I'm like, a lot of people are listening to this. They're like, okay, I did not copyright this. I put it out there and I didn't trademark my name. So that's good to know that, you know, because- Go ahead and go to those websites, you all. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, you don't know sites right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> so we talked about your travels. You go between the U.S. and Nigeria, and you've done a lot of other travel for work. Are there certain elements for entertainment and just content creation in general from other countries or other states that you wish could be put in the law in the U.S.? I would say that is difficult because I believe in things being applied according to the territory because that's hard it's not one size fits all right because some stuff that may work in the u.s may not work in england or in kenya or nigeria or south africa but i like for people to adhere to what's true to where they are and i think that as far as the united states like the u.s does a good job of like trying to figure out the kinks of the industry and creatives having that voice and space to just wake up one morning if somebody wants to decide going to be a content creator today. Like that's how I have, like there's room for that. And there may not be as much room in other countries, which to answer that part of your question, I just wish that other countries and territories and jurisdictions had some of the freedoms that America has. Because we do, whether anybody could say what they want, but like that is one liberty that is there. You know, literally people could be like, I think I want to make a career out of this. And if they stick at it long enough, they're consistent in their content. They build a following. People have literally made a livelihood from being content creators. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've seen some of the biggest. So from your work dealing with top notch entertainers, podcasters like 85 South and Earn Your Leisure, what are some of the lessons you've learned just seeing that you would like to share with our audience as we wind down? I would say what I just mentioned, Javon, consistency is key. There's no way to cheat it. What I would say is, uh, what separates the people who have, and we know, I always like to say this success is relative. You also, one person's level of success does not mean it's the next person. But if you are 
operating or looking at a space of what we just mentioned, those two particular clients I have and all my clients that I technically work with is they are all consistent and they all have bet on themselves and they stuck at it. Even when people didn't care and they weren't noticing, they were creating that song. They were recording in the studio. They were making those podcast episodes so that when they got the audience, that's why they had the longevity and growth that they had. Not because they started scrambling. It's because they did things years prior to people ever knowing or caring. So when people say, I know this is cliche, but an overnight success, you all seriously, I've done this for several years. There's no such thing. If people want longevity, there's no such thing as overnight success. Now you can have that and have a career that Again, they're always outliers. It's very rare. But generally speaking, people that have longevity are people that have sown seeds. It's just like a tree. We can't see its root, but it doesn't mean it hasn't been growing for how many years prior to the tree sprouting up. Same analogy for some of the talent and creatives and content creators that I work with. They put years into it before they had the following, the fan base, the platform. So consistency is key. Please bet on yourself. Please stick at it. If you stay at anything long enough, good things, you all focus on good things. If you stay at good things long enough, it will happen for you. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't have said it better. I was going to ask you what advice you would give yourself. That was beautiful. We don't even need Thank that. You. So <laughs> we're going to move on to our by design segment where I ask every guest the same three questions. You ready, Amy? Oh, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> all right, let's get it. Let's get it. So what has been the hardest part about designing a life and business you don't need a vacation from? Oh, these questions, Javon. I love hey, it. Um, that's what I like um, to hear. <laughs> I would say allowing myself to be human in full transparency. If, for me and a human, like not always feeling like I have to have everything right and get it done all the time. I am fluid and relaxed in other atmospheres. But when it comes to work and my work ethic, I'm very tight in the sense of I got to get things to the finish line. And it's knowing that everything is not an emergency. It's giving yourself grace, operating with competence and at a high level, but being human and giving yourself grace. I would say that's something I've had to work on the older I am because you want to achieve, 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 and you can, but listen to your spirit, listen to your body and give yourself like rest. I don't use the word balance because I personally don't, I don't know if there's balance. Like, you know, if you want to operate a level, but I do use rhythm, it's finding a rhythm that works. So what may work for me this year, Javon, may be different next year. It depends on the season I am in my life, you know, in your life or wherever anyone is. Absolutely. Beautifully said. And I wholeheartedly agree for sure. Amen to that one. So what is the best lesson you've learned from your entrepreneurial journey? I have learned to be open and flexible. <laughs> like that, just simply put, because when you are, I promise you, you all, by the grace of God, like I did not think I would see some of the places and go some of the places and be some of the rooms I've been in. That's just the easiest way. to. But I was always like, okay, let's try. And if it didn't serve me, I would be assertive enough and strong enough and bold enough to say, this doesn't work for me any longer. And sometimes I did sit in things longer than I should. That's the human aspect I talked about, allowing myself to be human and to make mistakes. But more often than not, if it doesn't serve me, which is why I'm blessed that I have my own law firm, I get to choose who I work with and they get to choose to work with me. So I'm not told I don't have to work with anybody or nothing has to be bad. But sometimes if you all just are in different journeys and you go your different ways, you did amazing things together. So it's being open and just being like, just ready for what is to come. Because I'm telling you, I cannot lie to you. It has put me in rooms and taken me to places that, you know, you pray to God, you do this for me, Lord, this and this will happen. I couldn't even pray up some of this stuff. I didn't know to pray it up. You know what I mean? Like, it would just be like, God, wherever you want me to be, make me a steward of the gifts you gave me. That's my prayer. 
Like, Absolutely. let me help me manage the things, you know, and because of that, and I've been open again. It could take you to some places you never dreamed. And there's more for all of us. Right. It's just the beginning. We're scratching the surface. Yes, indeed. It is just the beginning. But again, it ties <laughs> to that consistency, you know, and yeah. you want to be open for that serendipity. So, yes, indeed. The last question is, what are three tools or tips you would recommend when scaling a business? These questions are amazing. I would say with scaling, learn from my mistakes, right? I didn't scale as quickly. Again, we're being very transparent here. As quickly as I wanted to, but I don't regret anything because when the growth came, I was able, like, I knew every role. So be flexible. Know every role in your company. So when now, as I have a team, nobody can tell me how to do anything in my company because I've had to be my own secretary. I've had to do my own social media. I've had to be my own paralegal and junior so like junior associate. So know every role in your company. Have a vision when you want to scale. Have a vision for what you want your company to look like, Javon, because you may not want the same brand or company that your friend or colleague who has the same degree as you or skill set as you. Stop living somebody else's dream. So when you scale, know what your vision and your goal is. Do you want to create a business that you have an exit and you sell? Do you want to merge or partner people? Do you want to stay as a solo or smaller company or entrepreneur? Know what that is. And then I would say the third one is always like, I'm a saver. I'll just be very practical. Be able to have enough resources to be able to pivot the way you want and need to. And I know that's sort of vague because what that does is we feel trapped and confined because it's real. Finances can get tight when you're scaling. They're growing pains. Sometimes money is not there. I went several mm-hmm. years without paying myself in my company. Several. <laughs> like I would put the money back into the company. Exactly. But just knowing how to be a great resource of your funds so that you use it in the most beneficial way. And then if there's a decision you want to make or a pivot in your business that you'll have those resources. Or let's say you need to take a sabbatical. You'll have enough to survive for X amount of months. That's very important you are when you're scaling and growing. So just knowing that so you can make strategic decisions and not desperate decisions. Yeah, beautifully said, Amy, as everything you've talked about has been. It's been a wonderful conversation. I'm so happy you came to Design Life and Business to talk to us. How can everyone connect with you? Yes, so everyone can connect with me on social media at A-M-Y-S-O-S-A-I-D-S-O, Amy Osetso. And then also I have a new platform launching called Creative Passport, so www.creativepassport.co. And it's to, as much as I want to work with every single person, it's a platform for the people, I may not be your lawyer, but you need certain resources prior to coming to a lawyer, prior to that big deal and opportunity comments, what you mentioned, Javon, like, what do I need to prep when you're in the DIY stage and you may not have money to have an attorney on retainer or pay an attorney for projects, you still need certain protections in place. So that is a community that I'm building for creatives, specifically the musicians and the podcasters and brand ambassadors I've been blessed to work with, like knowing that space, being in those rooms, knowing the kinds of things I want you all to like state steer clear of. So that's a new community. Actually, you're getting some breaking news right now. Um, I was, hey, was going to say, I hope y'all just heard this. <laughs> you got to hear first, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to hear first. So that's a community launch. And it came from pain points, Javon, hearing pain points of content creators and creatives in Nigeria, in the United States, in England, in Kenya. These are places I've traveled to, South Africa, Ghana, Singapore. Like, God is blessed. I've traveled across the world. Like, when I just okay. ask people creating things, they either think they can't monetize and create a livelihood out of it or they're overwhelmed at starting 
the first thing is just put it out there. If you are given a God given gift, put it out there. Like just get it out of your head. Get it out of your head. Write it down. Sing the song. Record it. Do yes. that. And then we'll protect it and monetize it. No, I love that. Make sure y'all go to creativepassport.com and go follow her at Amy O said so. You'll get all these jewels. But nothing yes. like designing life and business. So go ahead and read and listen to this one more time to get all the gems that she dropped. Thank you once again, Amy, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you. And we hope to see you again soon. Remember, listeners, keep ascending. We'll see you soon. Design Your Life and Business, the podcast for leaders, is brought to you by Bright Mind Consulting Group. To find out more about Bright Mind Consulting Group and how you can become the best leader possible, visit brightmindconsultinggroup.com. Make sure you search for Design Your Life and Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Bright Mind Consulting Group, we cannot thank you enough for listening. 